We have a special guest in the studio today, Laura Kearns. Kearns? Yes. Close enough. Sorry, I'm, I, don't, right. I don't speak Kiwi, but I tried. Um, tell us about yourself. Uh, well, hi, I am Laura Kearns. I'm a post, uh, oh, no, I'm not. I'm an undergraduate I'm doing politics. I am the co-founder and just newly elected an hour ago the campaign's officer for the Women's Plus Club. Cool. Sweet. In Otago. Awesome. Yeah. So you are part of the rallying team for Period Week. Yes, definitely. One of the organizers for Period Week, which kicked off beginning of this week and has turned into Period Fortnight. So keep an eye out for some events going on next week. Right. So what's going to be coming up next week? Um, so it's all, period week's been pretty, like, do it as we go. Um, we're going to have a roundtable, like, your story, your voice discussion. Cool. Um, get a few opinions on that. We're going to have, like, a um, submission-type writing workshop, try and get some petitions going to Parliament about the cost of sanitary products and whatnot. Um, yeah, and a bunch of things. So for all of that information, check out the Women's Plus Club on Facebook. Just type that into the search bar. Cool. Great. And you have stickers. We do have stickers. I've seen them and I love them. They're so exciting. Shout really out to exciting. Abigail and the Welfare Committee for pitching in the dollars for that. Mm-hmm. Worth it. A worthy investment. They look great. They yeah. look phenomenal. They're lovely. And fun to give away to people. Very fun. Yeah, I love seeing people around with them. I'm like, oh, it's catching on. Yeah, totally. There are three styles to choose from. So. Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. Cool. And what else has been happening um, so earlier in the week we had a giveaway stall in the link where um, shout out to Radio 1 and Critic for donating a bunch of cool prizes um, and we just gave away some, some stuff and some sanitary products. Also shout out to Student Support for donating them. And on Tuesday we had, oh my gosh, what did we have on Tuesday? I blanked, but last night we had a really awesome um, panel. Lily was one of our panelists. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was it was really awesome was it awesome. was a very fun panel yeah I wouldn't actually describe a lot of it as fun like some of it was kind of harsh realities associated with being a person who bleeds definitely um, yeah. yeah but it was interesting and so we had four different people with four quite different perspectives on bleeding and whatnot so yeah it was awesome yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought Scout's piece was really well realized. So Scout was um, the fourth person to speak last night, and they are a transmasculine mm-hmm. person um, who bleeds. And um, they were talking a bit about the experience of um, having a uterus and wanting to be a dad, mm-hmm. and the sort of body dysphoria that can come along with every um, period. <laughs> every yeah. period mm. um, when you are. Uh, when you don't identify as a woman, whether you're non-binary or transmasculine or... Yeah, so... Yeah, and the way they described it as, like, trauma every time they bled, Mm. I think was just so powerful and something that, as, like, a cisgendered woman, definitely was kind of eye-opening and... And that's been a huge part of Period Week is that we wanted it to be super trans-inclusive and that it's all very well and it's super great to talk about like breaking the taboo and the stigma of bleeding. Um, but we also need to recognise that in like today's age especially, there are people out there, the, the whole conversation is always centred around women and women bleed and that's just not the case necessarily for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well and also that there's heaps of people out there that wish that they bled. Totally, yeah. Um, but happen to have a penis. Yeah. Or wish they bled and have PCOS. Yeah. Um, Or maybe wish they didn't bleed quite so much because they have endo. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, really interesting. And Kyra Gillies talked about period poverty. Yes, yeah. Um, and I really liked their talk as well. They talked a little bit about um, like pre-colonization um, and kind of the way menstruation was dealt with in Maori world prior to colonization. And then also about um, people and people who bleed in prisons. Mm, um, that was I really no interesting. I- yeah. Yeah, I had no idea that it was so expensive. So they put a markup on sanitary products yeah so people can't afford to buy them i just thought that they would be given them i had no idea that they would have to buy them exactly. that's outrageous <laughs> for a markup like, yeah like do they make them cost? pay for toilet paper probably not it's exactly. as essential as that you know do they make the men pay for things in the men's prison or what? like yeah it's really inequitable and just weird and stingy and unnecessary yeah they could totally unethical free, free bleed and protest yeah mm. maybe mm. i am um, i'm not sure how it is in new zealand but i heard a story come out of a u.s prison that yeah a woman couldn't afford to buy the products um and then they got like put in solitary confinement and punished for bleeding on the free bleeding. yeah Jeez. because it was against like the uniform standards or something like that oh my god that is heartbreaking yeah i guess there's not a lot of i'm thinking like why doesn't one of these companies come in and donate products to prisons but i guess there's not a lot of great press in that yeah well i mean if we don't even know like that it's happening as well like that's true how can people kind of rise up against it i have a question i don't know if you know the answer to it but so all the you buy cotex products on campus are they donated or do usa purchase them Oh, they are donated, yep. So right. in the beginning of the year, they donate a whole bunch and then OUSA ration them out and put them out mm-hmm. throughout the year. Yeah. yeah. Do you know why we mentioned this, I think it was last week, but why they're not in the bathrooms? I don't know. I think there's, there's just not enough supply. Right, so um, they have to really ration it. Yeah, yeah, right. they do. Yeah. Um, they, I think, I don't know what exactly happened, but I don't think they were anticipating them to be quite as popular so I don't know if you guys saw around like O-Week around um, Tent City and stuff there were a few people walking around just like handing out boxes of tampons that Mm. had been donated um, and they just got like completely ravaged and so that was I think maybe a poor decision and then they realised like that they didn't have any tampons for the rest of the year. Yeah I guess a poor decision or maybe a good decision because then people stock up and use them who need them right and it also hopefully reduces some of that stigma. Definitely. I saw a man come up and ask for some. He said, I don't menstruate, but my partner does. Can I take some? Oh, and I thought that was really cool. So it's also, I guess, a good point of conversation and a way to destigmatize if we're like, yeah, we're freely giving them away. Because I was watching and I saw some people, as the people handing them out, approach them looking really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I thought about how sad that was, you know, and things yeah. like that. So I think just having them there and having a presence and be like, hey, it's normal. Do you want some tampons? Uh, I thought that was really cool. So I guess it serves a serves a good purpose. Well, we had that, yeah, so we had our giveaway stall. So we had, like, a bunch of tampons. I didn't mention before the Oi Initiative, um, Mm. which is one of the tampon company or product companies. Um, Mm -hmm. So they donated a bunch of tampons. So we were giving away tampons and pads, and then we also had, like, V and chocolate that had been given away, um, Mm -hmm. given to us from Radio 1 and Critic. Cool. And, yeah, the amount of people that came up, and they were like, are these free? Are you Seriously? Mm-hmm. Seriously, and it broke my heart. A couple of girls that came up and female presenting people, and they were like, "This could not have come at a better time." I just got my period, and I didn't have like study link hasn't come through yet. I didn't mm-hmm. know what I was gonna do, and they just took like a few handfuls, and they're like, "You guys have like saved my life figuratively," you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "That's so heartbreaking that that's a thing." Yeah, like totally. What else? Yeah, what were you gonna do? Like, this is a, a one-off thing that we were just doing, but 
yeah, it seems like there needs to be a more, I don't know, sustainable solution for uh, giving them out or dispensing mm. the pads and tampons. Because the other thing with it, having them on the desk at OUSA is that you have to take them in front of other people, right? Definitely. And because of all that stigma, which we should start and reduce, I think it's a great idea that it's there, but that is a real barrier to people taking one. And so if we could just have them in the bathrooms because we have a supply that's, you know, that's well, the, all the supply that we need sort of thing, you know, rather than having to limit it, then that could be really good. Absolutely. I mean, my He's big hoping. thing is, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I get so frustrated because you can go to your doctor and get a prescription and get a hundred and I think it's 44 condoms for $5 on prescription. Mm-hmm. Don't even get me started on the fact that dental dams aren't even a thing in that like regard. But mm-hmm. why are pads and tampons not treated in the same yeah. way? Like they're just as, if not more essential. Yeah. Um, to like going about one's life. Why mm-hmm. are they not available on prescription in that way? Adequate supply, that was the word I was looking for. <laughs> Adequate. Not that difficult <laughs> word, but anyway. Yeah, that's right. And why, or even like thinking about people with endometriosis, why, or someone who, at, at the very least, why someone who, who's been diagnosed with that can't mm. get a prescription. Absolutely. You know, because, yeah. well, with the diagnosis of that comes that it is, you are likely to have heavier periods. Mm-hmm. And so you're likely to use. More things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you know if there are any... There was an initiative, I think it started in Auckland, about menstrual cups on campus. Do you know if there's anything like that coming? Or yes. is that a thing? The WA Collective. Um, yes, mm-hmm. so currently our welfare committee with Abigail Clark, the welfare officer, is mm-hmm. looking into that. Um, I think they are still getting a little bit more information, but my understanding is that they're planning to go ahead and like join up. So the way that works is that um, the student association like pays a fee and signs up to the collective and then um, they get menstrual cups for I think it's about $15 um, that students so students buy them for $15 they can pick them up from their association Mm -hmm. Um, all their postage costs are covered by the association or by the collective oh Um, cool yeah so they're a much cheaper option and yeah my understanding is that that is in the works at the moment Mm-hmm. Um, because currently Otago and Canterbury are the only unis that aren't signed up to that. Oh, really? So, yeah. Interesting. Yes. Oh, that would be really awesome just to present as another option for people who are comfortable to using them, obviously, mm. uh, because that can be a cost. Definitely. A cost-saving initiative, a one-off purchase, and then... Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's still one of those things for me where I notice in New Zealand tampons don't have applicators, whereas like applicator-free tampons are pretty like in the U.S. Really? Like, like it's standard there for tampons to have applicators. I read that, which I think is really interesting because like I remember being younger and being like, "Ooh, but if you don't have an applicator, you have to like put your finger in there," <laughs> um, as though like there's that that would somehow be strange, yeah. which is just so bizarre from where I sit now. Um, and so here I feel like that's one of the barriers that maybe people don't have. Like if you're accustomed to putting in tampons that don't have an applicator and taking them out, like, then there's not actually that much difference between putting that in versus putting in a moon cup. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's so true. So maybe I find with a moon cup you really have to wrestle it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I love I love the idea of a moon cup, but I'm still very hesitant myself. I mean, I don't bleed personally at the moment um, since I've like switched my contraceptive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the whole I sometimes I see like how much it squishes up. I'm like, that's still quite a lot. <laughs> mm. Try and get in there. <laughs> yeah, there are lots of I think there. Are, 
there are lots of different folds that you can do okay. on the menstrual cup. So there are ones that you can do that makes it the smallest mm-hmm. at the at the tip as possible. It's called a seven fold. Okay. <laughs> and you, you yeah, pull the pull the side down and make a seven fold. So that creates the smallest, I guess, point for entry. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of it familiarizing yourself with using one is finding what fold is best right. for you. Right. And so if you're intimidated sort of by the size of them, it's about finding a fold that Mm-hmm. makes it seem smaller and then it pops open <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. yeah just the whole concept i'm like it's gonna leak it's gonna leak people mm-hmm. are like no no it doesn't have for runs in them but mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i mean they, they will leak eventually i mean yeah. you, know? you can't leave them in there for yeah. the whole week <laughs> no like you gotta you gotta change them up a bit yeah that, did you guys hear about the story of the woman that got um toxic shock syndrome from her menstrual cup and it was because she'd left it in, well, we can assume it's because, but she left it in for like seven days and just didn't take it out. Okay. It's mm. like, what? <laughs> That's just not very smart. No. Mm. Or sanitary. Oh, I was reading that there's really very little research to do with menstrual cups and toxic mm. shock. And so there's an initiative now where I, I think you've just put it into Google where they're trying to collect women's experiences oh, okay. with them and, and toxic shock and things. But it's a really under-researched area yeah. which makes sense in part because it's not a massive money making yeah part of it because like once you buy a menstrual cup you can have it i think the brands vary but like up to 10 years or something yeah. like that right although they keep making that time shorter and shorter and i sh- i can only assume what the cynic in me thinks that it's because they want people to keep buying and buying and buying them right yeah makes otherwise sense. it's not a great business model if you buy it once and that's that uh, <laughs> yeah 15 dollars for 10 years you know? yeah because <laughs> so i think was it the diva cup or something that said that you could have it for 10 years and then now apparently it's down to two or something like that and they oh, say what? you should change it or something ridiculous um, when I you can just capitalism. boil them, like they're silicone, yeah. you mm. boil them, they're sterilized, done. Yeah. Mm. Like yeah. personally, like if it starts disintegrating, I'll stop using it. <laughs> but <laughs> until that point, like I think it's all right. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and I will add, which I also I mentioned on the show last week, but the boiling it, which is great to sanitize it. So often, you know, moon cups are. Uh, here it is this big solution to period poverty sort mm-hmm. of thing but that also assumes that you have the resources and ability to boil it to clean it right exactly yeah yeah it's interesting because all this talk like there's something in the back of my mind too that's like these are the these are the difficult and and uh, these are some of the more unjust aspects of being a person who menstruates and mm. um at the same time, I feel so deeply that menstruation is something to celebrate, that it is like mm-hmm. this really amazing um, like call to, to be to know our bodies and to mm-hmm. have a relationship with our bodies and it's and the cycles that our bodies have um, and to slow down certain points of the month and to like I have this emotionally, my reality becomes quite kind of dark and a bit grumpy for a couple of days and then my period starts and it's like everything relaxes my system relaxes and and I feel I have heaps more energy and things like that but it's there's also a sense emotionally that I'm sort of like processing things and letting things go um it's like a mini kind of death rebirth cycle that happens over and over again and um, and I just find it such a rich, like I have such a, a deep and rich relationship with my period 
and have done for quite a long time. And so I'm thinking about that and I'm also thinking about these injustices around it and realizing that like, I think in some ways it's the celebration of periods and period pride um, is like is also a way to work towards justice mm -hmm. because as long as it's this like stigmatized thing it doesn't get talked about very much and people are too ashamed or embarrassed to say hey my needs are being met around this or hey it's really a bit unfair that like half the population has to pay for this mm. um, material and doesn't get any support around it when like and yet are like <sighs> In this context, women continue to be in a role where we're viewed as these sort of broodmares for reproduction and, you know, represent m being maternal and raising children and bearing children. And it's like, well, if you want to have that attitude about it, then, like, at least support the, the like, monthly cycle that evidences our ability to do all of those <laughs> things, yeah. like, biologically yeah. speaking. Um, but I think that there's something to be said for, for keeping, like, there's a way to, to talk about period pride that I think would sort of negate or erase these other realities and experiences. But I think there's a way of trying to talk about it that, that, um, yeah, makes it really clear that, that this is such a normal thing. It can be such a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. It can also be a painful thing. And the more we sort of, like, give it that scope, um, and give it voice, I think, you know, that, that does serve the ends of, of seeking justice, mm. I would hope. Yeah. It's really complex terrain, isn't it? I'm just thinking back to the bowl, <laughs> the bowl of pads and tampons on the OUSA desk, and I'm thinking how they're actually using stigma as a way to ration supply. Yeah. Because if you put it in the bathroom where no one can see then the stigma's not there, right? Yeah. So people will take what they need. But by putting it up there, they're thinking, well, people will take less because of the stigma, yeah. therefore they'll last longer. It's yeah. really troubling, isn't it? I mean, the <laughs> idea, like, I think just because they don't get enough to be able to, yeah. you know, like, well, ration, that's the, like, that's the main problem, isn't 10, it? 10,000, say, totally. if it was exactly half the population, yeah. um, people who bleed. But, yeah, the idea of them there is, like, if you're caught in a sitch and you're in uni and you've just started your period and you don't have anything on you, you can go mm. and grab a tampon. But, yeah, totally, like, you're yeah. exactly right. It's that idea mm. of, like, not wanting to go and grab them. Or even just, yeah. like, if you do have the courage to go and grab them, there's, like, someone sitting right there that you're like, oh, I'm not going to grab a handful because that looks, yeah. you know, like, greedy kind of thing. Even right though I know I'm going to need to change my pad tonight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so tricky, and I, I don't think... OUSA are the villains in this and that's what no, I'm trying to yeah, say yeah. that the problem is is that there isn't the supply there for people that need to take more than one or so that we can just have them in bathrooms or whatever exactly yeah yeah but um, I find tricky. it so interesting the way that you talk about like menstruating Lily because yeah not many people like see it as a celebration or perhaps just the people I've been around I think it's beautiful I think it's because I'm a hippie. <laughs> hippie from way back. <laughs> like I just it's just in my bones to some extent. Um and I just yeah, I I it's it it, it was such a personal thing and and there's nothing like wanting a period and not having one for mm. two years of your life and having to work at like okay, so I got my first one. Okay, now I've got a you know keep at it with my treatment protocols to to try and have a second one and mm -hmm. like um and they were super irregular for for years so it's it's been this you know many years long process of 
getting to know my body and getting to know its cycles and you know like I said you know there's like a, an emotional renewal that comes with menstruation for me and so to not bleed for two years mm. was like emotionally it was there was no shedding this that cycle wasn't happening yeah. and the buildup yeah. was like just really difficult like really really difficult and so I associate menstruation with relief um, with fertility but also with death um, I, as I mentioned last night with cycles of the moon, um, I talked quite a bit last night about period sex, which I think is like really undervalued for what it does in reducing symptoms mm. of menstruation. You know, like it helps a lot of women report that it helps with pain yeah. and it helps with um, all kinds of things. And Essentially an internal massage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and it can be a really helpful one. Mm. Also, like our cervixes change location throughout the course of our cycle. So like th sex is a really different experience for a lot of women based on where in their cycle they are and has their cervix dropped or is it kind of receded because when it's dropped, it may be more tender and like the canal becomes shallower and like it's just there's all these different repercussions that like a lot of us don't necessarily think about but yeah. it's so central to it also like people's sex drive like women's sex drive is often yeah some like peaks to yeah. Yeah. Mm. and yeah and peaks during the, like, yeah yeah just Dis despite the sort of the old sort of theory about it peaking during ovulation during ovulation for some women they report that it's actually some people who menstruate report that it's actually during their periods yeah yeah because there's a lot of hormone fluctuation and like i don't know it was yeah. definitely talked about on the panel last night like everyone's hormones are different right and so for yeah. some people that means that their sex drive is going to peak during their period or other times other than ovulation because everyone's different exactly. i thought we were robots <laughs> do we well, need to go back to the I've factory got some news for you <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. I um, heard someone say one time, yeah, bless him, a wee young ignorant boy, um, thought that all women menstruate like at, at the exact same time. It was just like a thing oh. that happens to women or menstruating people at the same time, <laughs> all together. It's like, oh, women of the <laughs> world are on their period. First of the month, here yeah. we go. <laughs> Everybody well, ready. I guess, though, well, it kind of there's the whole woman sinking up. up. Yeah. Which I think the research likes to tell us sometimes is a myth, but we all know it's true. Exactly. And there is some research to counter that. Actually, one of my one of my friends, I don't think she'll mind me telling this story, She, whoever she's with, they always sync up with her, right? Her mum had been on menopause for years, and she went home on her, when she was on her period, and her mum got her period again. Oh, my <laughs> the God. The pull is strong. Goodness. That's right? insane. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I think to some extent as well because uh you know I was raised in a, in a house where I was the only female bodied female identified person mm -hmm. like um and so I didn't have a mom or a stepmom or like I didn't have a lot of um f people around me to um so I didn't grow up with really any associations around menstruation. Mm -hmm. um, right. And I didn't grow up with a lot of associations around female gender roles. I mean, I did because I still lived in the world yeah. and like it's everywhere. But but I didn't have it in the home. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
that was really formative for me and my gender identity and the process of really, you know, queering my gender presentation for a number of years and, mm -hmm. and being in, I mean, I did, I spent like five, six, seven years of my life in a very androgynous place. Um, and that was, that was such a, a wonderful kind of natural and organic experience for me. Um, but it really brought to bear the degree to which I really was sort of making up my own, um, like, because I, I have, even, even as a queer woman, like, I've always identified as a woman. Mm -hmm. And so then it became about kind of coming to terms with womanhood on my own terms and figuring out what yeah. that meant without having the same um, context as a lot of other people do. Where the, where they where, I mean heaps of people don't have a mom like I I realize mm -hmm. that um, but it was it was unique and I engaged the process pretty conscientiously and and engaging with my period was part of that and yeah. so which is not to say that I necessarily associate periods extensive uh, exclusively with women mm -hmm. but for me like part of my woman identity and female identity is linked to being a person that bleeds mm -hmm. yeah mm. and I just I just want to celebrate it and I sort of want to paint with blood <laughs> sometimes <laughs> well it's a beautiful color yeah yeah you're it's, not wrong it's yeah. so red <laughs> or whatever color it happens to be that day <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about I do I do <laughs> Yeah, I've always had quite a turbulent relationship. I mean, I grew up with my mum had had really, really bad um, periods and health issues and fertility issues like all her life. And so I guess it was never celebrated in our house because she was like terrified that that was something that myself and my sister were going to like have to deal with. And, and I was super irregular for like most of my life. Um, when I first got it and it wasn't until I went on birth control maybe four years ago um, in the hopes that that would stop like really bad cramps that I was getting that it kind of settled down and became somewhat regular and I could skip it if I wanted to and mm. yeah it was it was something that just sort of like happened and just happened and we dealt with it and we bought pads when we needed to and yeah mm. it's amazing how like I feel like for many people who menstruate, there is something to be said for the, how it was presented to them growing up. Mm -hmm. This would have been like a monthly reality in many households. Not all, but many. Yeah. Um, and seeing how somebody would have coped with that, you know, or was it secret or was it public? Yeah. Was it complained about? Was it celebrated? Mm. Was it painful? Was it, was it like you know clinical in some sense or was there mm -hmm. a diagnosis that you know like and how much that would shape it um because some people really do suffer around their periods like so i have to tell either of you this and i'm sure plenty of our listeners know but like yeah like some people really suffer around it yeah i mean i was saying to a few people last night like i um we talked a little, little bit last night about like pain and how often like pain is minimized especially when it comes to like menstrual pain um, but when I was getting really bad cramps, it could be right before my period, it could be during, it could be after. There was like no telling when they were going to come on. And I would be curled up in a ball, like passing in and out of consciousness, mm. like with the pain. And I would kind of say that to people. And I would usually describe it as more like oh, I was curled up in a ball and then I kind of just like fell asleep and like my body like recovered itself and I woke up for a while. 
people be like, well, if you fell asleep, I can't have been in that much pain. You know, I was like, well, I mean, we can call it being passed out if that's what you want to, like, talk about it. Yeah. Um, Mm. Yeah, but it was never something that I was kind of, like, no one ever said to me, look, you need, that means you need to, like, slow down or maybe just take some time and rest. It was, like, pop some painkillers. And I do always felt very grateful that, like, Panadol worked for me. Um, I know it doesn't for a lot of people. Like, pain relief just doesn't do anything. So I could take a Panadol and, like, get on with my day. But that's, like, exactly what happened. Mm. Take an hour out if that's what it was, and then you'd get on with your day. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to, yeah, like, pain relief and sort of medical interventions and things. And I was once prescribed these tablets, which were meant to stop the amount of blood uh, that you lost, or reduce the amount of blood that you lost. And I said to the doctor who was like a who's a doctor who says that like women's health is their is their thing right yeah. and I said okay what's the mechanism of action where does the blood go yeah and she didn't know <laughs> and I was like wow. how can I make an informed decision yeah. about whether I want to take these if you don't even know how they work You know, it was very strange. And then I had to do all this independent research. You know, you have to become your own researcher. Yes. So that you can make an informed decision because they just won't give you the answers. And I remember asking a friend who worked at the hospital, who asked the hospital pharmacist for me so that I could actually, you know, make that decision. But I just thought, wow, someone who's so interested in women's health and that's their area doesn't know how the tablets work. That is insane. Because it's kind of just like a put up and shut up kind of like thing, isn't it? It's like, well, if you've got this issue, I'm going to give you these tablets and they're going to fix you and just like take them and get on with your life. Yeah. And it's a very sort of patch and dispatch. So like I lose, so I've got very low iron because I lose so much blood and it's like, I will just take iron tablets. Yeah. So it's not like, well, why do we look at why this is happening? Yeah. And sort of actually after listening to the panel last night, I can see how that yeah, I can see maybe some of the reasons why that might be so. Uh, but yeah, that's just like, well, here's just take some I and be on your merry way. You know, yeah. let's not actually look at what the cause of the problem is. And yeah, I know my experience is certainly not unique. No, well, it's women's bodies. Women's bodies yeah. can deal with childbirth, so they can deal with anything. And also, right. like, who wants to, like, study and figure out why they do the weird things that they do? Mm. Like, they're just mm. women. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I feel like it's not all that recognised that the medical system is still very, like, patriarchalised. That's not a word, I don't think, but... Like it, let's roll with it. (laughs) It's a good one, we'll roll with it for sure. In the sense that, yeah, as it was talked about last night, like, it's... People just don't care as much about women's bodies and, like, the unique issues that women, female bodies have. Mm. So there's just not the research, there's not the interest, there's not the funding to do the research. Yeah, and I always think as well, funding when it comes to menstrual products, right? Because how long have we had pads and tampons been the only option? Exactly. (laughs) Right? You think that by now, with all the technology that we have, I mean, we're starting to see things like the period underwear and Mm. things, but you think there must be some advancements before now that have that would have made those products so much better, or different products, or new inventions, but it's... We just still still going tricking along with the old. It's like they're only now reinventing pregnancy tests. Yeah, I saw one called Pregnosis, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> are these the ones that are flushable? No, you what? told me about those though. Yeah, so like there's this really I don't know the company, I should look this up, but there's this really savvy company now that's like redesigning um 
you know, to better meet the needs of women. So they're they're flushable and biodegradable. Wow. Um, they kind of look like a pad. They have like a big cloth thing, so it's easier to catch yeah. a stream and get a good test. But they're also really ideal because, like, you can hide them easily and dispose mm-hmm. of them easily without anybody seeing the results. So That's not only amazing. does that spare embarrassment, but if you're in a, say, a domestically abusive mm-hmm. situation or there's, like, a hyper-controlling situation going on, you can successfully hide it. That's incredible. Yeah. Because, I, and, and we do know that domestic violence increases, like, the likelihood of it increases when a woman becomes pregnant. So mm, it can be really yeah. vital to keep that secret. That's incredible. I feel like I've spent so much money in my life on pregnancy tests. Between, like, naturally irregular periods and just being a paranoid person, I'm constantly, it's like, oh, I'm pregnant. Oh, I just... Like, oh, I'm more hungry than you see. I'm pregnant. I I do. I just keep them around because even though I have an IUD and whatever, like, because I'll have random months where, like, I'm two weeks later than anticipated, like, I just... And then I start to feel like, like, I'm so sure that I'm not pregnant. However... Um, the stress of it feels yeah. like it's pushing my period back further. So mm-hmm. then I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm just gonna just gonna take a test. It's yeah. gonna peace come up fine. It's gonna exactly. give me peace of mind, and then my period's gonna show up. Yeah, I get so like in my head. I'm like, I'm pregnant. That even if I get my period, I'm like, I'm still not confident. It's <laughs> probably just spotting. Yeah, that I am pregnant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, I'll pay the seven dollars. Damn it, I'll do the test, and it'll be fine. I, yeah. Do you know if you can get them for free from Student Health? I don't know, actually. Possibly. I mean, I think yeah. you'd still have to pay like the appointment fee, though, or something. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's something they should also have available. That'd be mm, cool. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, except, you know, as an international student, I, for example, don't have access to any reproductive health care at Student Health. Oh, uh, I've heard covering. about this, oh, yes, and so it makes me wild. Yeah. That's insane. So if, for example, you have to have a termination while you're here, mm-hmm. you have to pay about three grand out of pocket. <gasps> No. Yeah, and I think to get an IUD, it's upwards of three hundred dollars. Is that right? Well, someone oh, told me that shit. recently. Uh, mine, mine was free. Wow. <laughs> tell us, tell us the secret. <laughs> no, but I've heard recently that that's if you just rock up to Student Health as an international, it's over three hundred dollars to get an IUD. And if you're going to go on just like oral birth control pills, mm. you have to pay for that too. Holy shit. What about family planning? Can you go to family planning or is it... Well, family planning... still have to pay because it's a service for New Zealand residents. And also there are age requirements for family planning. So it's like free if you're under 23. And I don't know if that includes international students. Yeah. Yeah. But... That's disgusting that you pay all this money to go to uni and then like basic needs are just not met. And I take it that's not covered by health insurance. No, no, no. Yeah. No, probably because it's optional, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's optional. But a uh, pre-existing condition but, of being a woman. <laughs> but if you're going to come to New Zealand for like a student visa or, you know, on a temporary visa, um, you can't be pregnant unless you can show that you have a certain amount of money in your bank account. You have to like say whether or not you're pregnant. And if you are pregnant, you have to have like in excess of like nine or $15,000 to your name. Yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting.